come up with how you explain what happens when 300 women get together riding bikes for the weekend. And it's just like, you cannot explain it. Like it just, (laughs) it is magical. We don't try to understand it. We've, we've stopped trying. We just know that it's freaking rad. For my first ever Femme Cyclist podcast, I sat down with Ash and Andy, the founders of Rome Events. Their bike event empire includes Rome Fest, the world's biggest all-women's mountain bike festival, Rome Retreats, the Rush Academy, Rebecca's Private Idaho, and the Sturdy Dirty. Ash is a bike industry veteran who's worked for Live Bikes as well as Backroads. Andy is a professional mountain bike mechanic and pro racer. Together, they've built a company that's recognized as a leader in the bike industry, and they're providing lots of rad opportunities for women riders. In this episode, we talk about what you can expect at Rome Fest and Rome Retreats, why they don't include skills clinics at their events, and how they struggle finding enough time to ride, just like the rest of us. You're listening to the Femme Cyclist Podcast, and I'm your host, Kristen Bonkowski. Like most of you, I'm a bicycle-obsessed rider and sometimes racer. Each week, I'll bring you interviews from inspiring women and offer tips and tricks to help you thrive on the bike. At Femme Cyclist, we celebrate all forms of riding and all forms of women. So whether you're a road racer, bike commuter, or hardcore shredder, You'll find your tribe here. Yeah. I just want to say, first of all, thank you guys so much for being willing to come on. I've been following you on Instagram for a long time and just think that you're both really inspiring women, which is why I wanted to have you come on. Um, awesome. Yeah, thank you for having us. This is yes. really exciting. Cool. Um, so my very first question is just about Rome events and how you guys came up with the idea for the Rome retreats and the Rome bike fest. And then how did that actually, that idea actually become a reality? Yeah. Um, so just to differentiate our voices, this is Ash talking. <laughs> this is Andy. <laughs> we do kind of sound alike. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> we hang out sometimes. We hang so. out a lot. Um, I'm going to let Ash take that one cause it's her baby. Yeah. So, uh, so I started Rome kind of on accident, uh, in 2016, I was working for a bike company and just kind of wanted to bring together, um, my experience with being a tour guide and being an event event planner and working in the bike industry and doing demo and kind of coming up with a more unique way to, to do demo essentially. And so I put together a women's weekend with a heavy demo focus and we spent three days up at the whitefish bike retreat. Um, the event was not called Rome retreats at the time and, uh, it was insanely successful. We, I had a ton of fun. Everybody at the event had a ton of fun. I think I got like four hours of sleep the whole weekend. (laughs) Um, and it was pretty obvious, uh, from that kind of first event that there was something really special happening and that I needed to kind of give it my full time attention. Uh, and then in the, in the midst of kind of the first year that I was really doing Rome retreats kind of under the umbrella of Rome events, um, had that same inkling with Rome, Rome, what would become Rome bike fest and now Rome fest that 
you know, like there was a need for women to come together and have a kick-ass weekend that was just really about riding bikes. It wasn't um, necessarily about skills clinics or about getting as many people as possible to an area to ride bikes, but really just to kind of create a fun, more intimate weekend um, with ladies to get together, build community, shred, drink beer, do a little dancing (laughs) and really just have a really fun time. Uh, And it's been insanely successful. So I guess it's working. Yeah. I mean, congratulations on that success. And I think all of us looking at it now can see how amazing it's become. But were there any challenges you had in those early days? Was it scary? Oh my gosh. It was really really scary. (laughs) Well, so Andy, uh, Andy was actually working, gosh, you working too? two like pseudo full-time jobs sort of yeah I the, the first year I wasn't fully involved I just kind of came out to every event and helped at events and did a little bit behind the scenes but not really much and um so it was all ash I would say like 90 percent ash uh in terms of the actual planning of the event um and that's that's a big event to do yeah. as a one bike person. Festival. Yeah. yeah. It's a big still, event as two people. Yeah. Like. <laughs> people still to this day and our team has grown, but I think one of our biggest challenges is when you put on, you know, events of that caliber. Cause I, I, I kind of proudly say that I think our events are world-class. Um, people assume that we were this huge team, but really in the beginning and, and to a, a large extent still today, um, Andy and I do most of everything in terms of the planning. We have a ton of help that comes in just before the event, obviously during the events and right after. But one of the big challenges was just, you know, managing a, a an event of that size and caliber with a tiny team. And at, at the beginning, Andy was working full time at a bike shop and at a, a dentist office. <laughs> those two things totally go hand in hand. If you think about it. <laughs> um, and then the other big challenge was at the time, um, you know, there was a ton of really amazing clinics around, obviously really amazing bike festivals around, but a women's only event that did not have some sort of skills clinic coaching component to it really didn't exist at all. And I'd say our biggest challenge was convincing women in our, in our target market and demographic, which are like, you know, women who identify as mountain bikers who are experienced riders don't necessarily need. um, I mean, we all need clinics and coaching. (laughs) I'm very convinced, Um, but was convincing kind of our target demographic that the event was a worthwhile experience for them to invest their time and their money into coming and and playing bikes with us. So that was, I think, the biggest hurdle. And uh, I think when Jill Kittner showed up, um, not not that she wasn't uninvited, we just had no idea she was coming. and when she showed up, I was like, okay, like we've, we have arrived. <laughs> like, Jill Kittner is here. Everything's going to be fine from here on out. And uh, it really has been. <laughs> so thanks, Jill. <laughs> um, so I think that one thing I saw a bunch on your website and you just alluded to is that this is very much for intermediate and advanced writers and they're not offering a lot of handholding. Um, I also read an article, Ash, that you had written, and I think you said, uh, quote, that you felt like the bike industry did a lot of hand-holding, pandering BS towards women. Is that is that really just, are you talking there about, like, 
more advanced women or do you feel like that handholding is even happening for beginner women that shouldn't be happening? Um, I might have been a little jaded at the time when I said that. Um, well, I think that really what I was observing as someone who is really entrenched in the industry, and I think Andy can speak to this too, coming from the racing world and the bike shop world, is that almost everything on the marketing and experience end of things in the bike industry for a really long time was was either highly race-focused or highly beginner-focused. I mean, if you looked at all of the advertising, basically, all the advertising dollars, all the marketing dollars, they were going toward getting women into mountain biking um, or into racing. And, they're, and, it, and it did for somebody who was confident or established or didn't need to have a beginner's intro into mountain biking. Um, it did to me come across as a lot of it was kind of pandering and it was handholding. And as an experienced writer, I didn't feel like I had a space in the bike industry outside of racing, which I wasn't interested in. And so I think that was kind of where this concept of Rome events came about was just like, Hey, like there's plenty of ladies out here who just want to go and ride their bikes with other awesome rad women um, and experience the community and the camaraderie that does happen when you get a group of women together. Cause it, it is very special. We, we have tried to, come up with how you explain what happens when 300 women get together riding bikes for the weekend. And it's just like, you cannot explain it. Like it just, <laughs> it is magical. We don't try to understand it. We've, we've stopped trying. We just know that it's freaking rad. Um, and so that was kind of where I think our mindset was, was, you know, Hey, there's ladies out here riding bikes who don't necessarily want to race and they don't need their handheld. Like we just, you know, other than like, make sure there's beer. And that it's cold. <laughs> That's about all the handholding we needed. <laughs> so I did notice that you have some co-ed events as well. Yeah. Is that new or is that something that's already been in existence? Uh, we we dabbled in it last year. We did uh, one event, our, our flagship, I guess our flagship uh, original OG retreat, the Whitefish retreat um ended up being a, a co-ed event and we uh we husbands we, were getting jealous husband, yeah husbands <laughs> were getting jealous wives were like my husband would love this can you please one day do a co-ed event so we decided to go for it and you know we we jumped into it and we didn't know how it would go and immediately we were like this is rad we These, booked we booked the, three retreats the, during a retreat. The retreat wasn't even over, and it was clinched that we would do it again this year. So during the weekend, we were booking out weekends for the 2020 season Yeah, to make sure we had at least three co-ed events so on the to schedule. to those first couple of husbands. You guys and, crushed it. Yeah, we, we basically told them, like, under no uncertain terms, like, we are totally judging you, and if you're assholes, like, <laughs> again. So be on your best behavior. Um, don't screw it up for the rest of the husbands in the future who might want to join one of our events with their wives and, uh, and partners or cat sitters. Like that's our only requirement. Um, is there a dude, you have to know a lady who's coming. Yeah. That you don't have to be, you know, wedded or anything. Right. right. No, no solo single dudes. That's like right. our only, call it discriminatory. I don't care, but we have our standards. It seems legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just have to know a chick. Yeah, I don't think it's that hard. She can be your cat sitter. Yeah. (laughs) 
So for your women's only events, I read that there are quite a few women, like a high percentage that come all by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It it depends on the event. Did you finish it? Sorry, we might. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that I've been considering coming to an event this year and I might come by myself. So I was just curious about that and what you do to help foster friendships. Definitely. Um, Well, uh, so just kind of statistically, what is it like? 30 to fit kind of depending on the event it's like we're pretty solidly in the 30 percent margin where ladies are coming on their own um I don't know that we I think we foster a really welcome inclusive environment for everybody um and it I don't know that we necessarily single out the solo ladies coming it just because the whole environment is like Hey, we're, we're all here to support one another and encourage one another and have a good time with a heavy emphasis on have a good time. It just Mm -hmm. happens that they get included and they have a good time. Um, we do call outs, but I think that is one thing that's helpful and puts things at ease. So for our retreats, (laughs) I don't want to do 300 call outs. Um, (laughs) but for our retreats, we do call outs ahead of time. And I think that really helps put, put things at ease and we just give, everybody coming to the event an opportunity to ask questions and make sure that, you know, they feel comfortable. They know where they're arriving, when they're arriving, what to bring. Um, kind of just ask any, yeah. Answer any questions they have, squander any apprehensions. Yeah. Which is really great. Cause we, I mean, especially now that we're, gosh, we're in like year, are we going to be year five at whitefish for me? Yeah. Five. For you. I've been coming to whitefish mm-hmm. for five summers in a row. So it's really great that, you know, we're returning to all these locations. And I mean, we can answer like them just, and I dare you to try to come up with a question <laughs> that we can't answer. <laughs> we'll tell you the shuttle company you should use. We'll tell yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. We've got all the info pretty down pat at this point. So is there, a, is there a location that's your favorite? Oh, God, everyone always I asks know, us that. I know. Should we like PC? We have we love all of them. Oh, of course. <laughs> I, we do. I, I really love Fruita. Andy really loves Fruita. I am I am like torn between Whitefish and Oak Ridge, but I love Sedona. <laughs> <laughs> and Bend is really rad. Um Whitefish has a, a special place in our heart because mm-hmm. it's where everything started. Yeah. Um like we, our first retreat was in Whitefish before, had I even met you? I think I just met you, but Andy uh, wasn't necessarily a part of, Rome wasn't even a thing when Whitefish started. Yeah. So special place in our heart. Um, it's wild and in kind of like every sense of the word, like there's literally grizzly bear interactions on, we haven't, pot- we haven't on potential. Seen you didn't let me finish. Okay. <laughs> we haven't seen one yet in the flesh, but the fact that like, we lose our voices by the end of the weekend because we're calling for bears the whole time. It's just really cool and exciting. And like, <laughs> where else besides Canada do you get to to do that? Um, so Whitefish is really special. I mean, the Whitefish bike retreat in itself is magical. Um, Cricket Butler, shout out. She's one of the most incredible humans we've ever come across. And she's created a really special thing up there with the Whitefish bike retreat. Um, but yeah, every location, honestly is unique and different and that's why we go to them um and it's just it's special every time like i don't i don't know they're all amazing i know 
we definitely have that conversation with people though sometimes before they sign up. They're like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what kind of writing do you like to do? Or what haven't you done yet? Like, what do you want to try? What are you afraid of? What are you stoked about? And sometimes it, like that conversation definitely is helpful to make sure, yeah, people yeah. are getting to the right spot for them. So which one would you recommend for somebody who is an intermediate writer who's maybe a little bit afraid of the more technical writing in a place like Sedona? Bend, Whitefish, Oak Ridge um, are all like technical in different ways. So Bend is definitely our, like that's basically the retreat that when people are newer or they don't like the super fast, crazy techie, techie climbing, that kind of thing, we kind of send them towards Bend because it has the most options. And Oak Ridge is great. It's not steep. Um, and it's not, I wouldn't say technical, the technical aspects are that you can get going really fast and there's some exposure, but, um, nothing like some exposure that you could experience in Sedona and it's loamy. loamy. So when you wipe out, it doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah. You're, you're caught, you're caught. <laughs> you get in into the ferns. ferns. Yeah. The ferns just caress you <laughs> when you, when you fall. Um, yeah. So I would say like as someone who is maybe like just getting into like their more competent level of writing, but isn't quite ready for something as technical as desert writing, which Fruta, Moab, Sedona all share um, kind of commonalities and that it's quite technical uh, over there or can be. It's actually not in all the places we go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like the Oregon trips and the whitefish trip kind of all share similarities in that, the writing just isn't technical the whole time. I mean, there's little bits and, and fun parts of it that can get quite techy, but generally speaking, like, you know, it's not like parts of Sedona can be real. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and in Bend and Whitefish, we go to the, we do lift access riding on one of the days. So that, which if you've never done that, like it seems kind of intimidating, but almost it's all really the time, fun. once, once, once you get up there, you're like, oh, well, this is just regular mountain biking, but I don't have to cl- pedal, so pedal much. up the hill. So <laughs> Hashtag <that's>... more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess switching gears just a little bit, Andy, this is a question for you. Ooh. I know that you've um, worked in bike shops as a bike mechanic, and I think one of the things that we hear the most from ladies in our community are um, – they just really want to get better at their bike skills and working on their bike. And I'm wondering what advice you would have for them. Just have a willingness to take things apart and not worry if you break it. Cause you might break something, but hopefully it's something that's not super expensive to repair. And usually it's not, it just all, it seemed, you know, when you're first learning, it's not going to be anything like in the internals of your fork or anything. It'll be like your derailleur or, you know, you might mess up a setting on on your barrel adjuster or your limit screw on your derailleur. And it's like that's all stuff that can like if you really do screw it up that much, you can just go into your bike shop and tell them what's happened and they'll they'll put it back for you. Like, yeah, just don't be afraid and and take photos. Oh, yeah. Take photos. Like if you're taking your headset apart or something, take photos as you go and so you don't, so you know, the order that parts go back together. Um, yeah, that's what I used to do. No fear. I would take photos. Yeah. I would take photos before I started taking things apart. 
so that I knew how they went back together. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you have to be naturally mechanically inclined or have you always been a really mechanically inclined person? I am personally mechanically inclined. I don't think you need to be. I think you just need to be interested in learning and, and and use repetition. Um, And I think that'll take you a long Like, I'm a good answer because I am not mechanically inclined at all. Right. And (laughs) I feel very comfortable with bikes now. I would let Ash fix my bike. Yeah. But it took me, I mean, taking lots of photos and trying, uh, you know, first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's always bike shops to help when you get stuck. If you just, you know, if you do mess something up, don't go in there like hanging your head. Tell them, you know, I was trying to learn how to fix my bike and yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty stoked usually when it's a, a girl. Yeah. They really are. <laughs> they're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So both of you have had all these positions within the bike industry. Is there any um, advice you'd have for women who would like to get a job in the bike industry, who would like to turn their passion for bikes into a career? Oh boy. Um, yeah, wow. it, I mean, I feel like it's a lot like any job, like you need to be in the right place at the right time. And it definitely helps to know the right people. Um, and but the, and the more often you're in the right place at the right, the more often you put yourself to possibly be in the right place at the right time, like volunteering and just like forcing your face in there is really going to increase your chances of getting in. Is yeah, that something- I mean, is that something you guys have done? Like just volunteering until you get a position? How did you, you got in the bike shop because you're a neighbor, right? Like that's kind of. Yeah. Hard. I just walked in knowing that one day I wanted to learn how to fix bikes. And, and then that's, and then, yeah. I mean, that's bike shops. I feel like bike shops are a little bit easier than maybe a bike industry job. Mm-hmm. Right. And is- my, my bike industry job. So I came from a guiding and event management background Um, I was very, very happily working for an amazing international, uh, like adventure tour company. Uh, and I went to an all women's ride just cause I was in an area and, you know, wanted to, to meet some of the locals. So I hopped in on a group ride with like 30 ladies that I had never met before. And at the end of the day, one of them was like, Hey, you should apply for this job. And I was like, I have no idea what that company is. I don't really know what that job entails, but it sounds like I get to ride bikes and travel and that sounds rad. Um, and so I kind of just put myself out there, made the phone call. Um, I think I, they told me I got told about the job on Wednesday and by Monday I was working there. Um, and so, and I think I got the job because of my humility I think that was huge. And I think that's a big, a big step into the industry that maybe for women who maybe don't have the same pathways as a lot of guys, like I think a lot of guys, you know, they get taken under the wing of a bike mechanic or whatever it is. Um, I think with me being able to go into that interview and just say, you know, Hey, like I don't know bike mechanics super well. And I don't know, I can't talk about, geometry yet and bike spec yet. Like, I don't even know what the hell spec means. (laughs) Um, but I have a huge willingness to learn and I'm really excited about getting other people excited about bikes. And I think 
coming from a very genuine space and place with that attitude, um, went a long way in that process. And, um, and it served me really well. Cause if you're, you know, if you're trying to get in the bike industry to get, get free stuff or cheap stuff, um, you're going to get burnt out really quickly. But if you're getting into the bike industry or into a bike shop, because you genuinely are stoked on getting other people stoked on bikes, um, that's a winning formula for sure. Mm-hmm. So how have you balanced your love of biking and actually being out there biking with having to run a business? And then I guess also for you guys, because you're not just business partners, you're life partners, you have that added um, in there also. You've got like kind of all, all these worlds melded together. How do you manage that? So much balance. There's no balance. <laughs> <laughs> there is no. People think we ride bikes all the time. Um, and we don't at all, <laughs> but we're working on it. We are working on it. Um, yeah, it's changed a lot actually in the last, like from year one yeah. to now, um, it's changed tremendously. I mean, we, we went from, I think the first two years we were pretty much working, I would say very easily seven days a week was not uncommon to have a 12 hour plus work day for both of us. Um, and I think this last year we kind of recognized that we were burning the candle at both ends and it wasn't serving, you know, us and it wasn't serving putting on the best events possible. And so this, you know, we took a trip to Europe this year. Um, We did kind of pseudo these trips that are work trips, but they're also incredibly um, special to us. Like Andy just got back from Laos this morning from mm-hmm. going on a trip with Rebecca Rush. Um, and I got back from Guatemala with World Ride uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, th- those are kind of the trips that we need to take to to fuel our passion and, and keep keep that passion <laughs> there <laughs> with bikes. Um, and then working with each other has been shockingly easy. Yeah. Like, I, I think we communicate incredibly well with one another. I think that's one of our, our strongest, um, strongest strengths that we have with our business communication. Um, I don't know. There hasn't been a lot of balance though. It was basically like, we're starting our own company and we're going to work our asses off all day, every day for a couple of years, yeah. <laughs> which little, I don't know if anybody is thinking about starting their own business, but little, <laughs> little, little tip, there. tip there. Yeah. <laughs> Be prepared to not have a life for like the first couple of years. Well, and go into it knowing that you're going to have to have a plan for your balance, for your work-life balance. Um, otherwise you, you just won't stop. Yeah. Cause the work never stops. My watch goes off at six o'clock every night now and <laughs> it's like, okay, stop working. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's fulfilling work. So it's not like you're like not stoked to do it. Right. You just turn around and realize that you haven't ridden your bike for two weeks and you're like, Oh my gosh. Or two months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we are getting a lot better at it. We, I'm impressed with us. Yeah. I think it's really impressive yeah. that you guys have managed to do all of this while also living largely nomadically. Um, that is the hard part. And it sounds yeah. like you know about how that Yeah, I do. <laughs> and I'm just so impressed because, um, you know, there were lots of times where I didn't have internet exit or access or wife, good Wi-Fi or anything like that to work. And I'm just curious how you managed to do all that while also being nomadic. We – there is definitely – if we did have a home base, we would be, I think, 
more productive because we are spending so much time getting from A to B, cleaning up, breaking down, yeah. setting up. I mean, um, this this interview is like a perfect example, right? Like you called and I was like, oh, crap, I got to go get the charger for the computer and I've got to go find it. Because <laughs> like, it's buried was, in the truck. Yeah, because I was in L.A. like however many hours ago hours and ago. I just drove from L.A. to Seattle and it was kind of chaos. So, I mean, things like that that don't seem like they are that time consuming, Um I think that's been a big challenge for us is just keeping things organized. And even though we're really diligent about it, I mean, just at the end of the day, like your office is not set up. It is constantly mobile and it's constantly getting packed down and packed up. And um, we've just had to have, I think, like a good attitude about it and just kind of roll with the punches to a large extent. Um, One day I will have a cork board with tacks and sticky notes I'm never going to forget anything. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, we've worked from some really fun places. Like I can think, I remember it, which I hope Rebecca listens to this because (laughs) we're such good friends with her now, but there was a time where she was just this like idol. I mean, she's still one of our idols, but like she was this like superhuman. Well, she is superhuman, but (laughs) she was on this other level with us. And we had our first big meeting with her, and we were in the middle of freaking nowhere. Like, were we in Idaho? No, Which we were in Sedona in the desert. No, for- where we had to call from that bar, and those drunk oh. guys came in. <laughs> we had a, we were in the middle of nowhere. I think it was Idaho, which, yeah. as you probably know, Kristen, there's a lot of middle of nowheres in yep. Idaho. Um, and I, the only place we could find Wi-Fi was this like super divey dive bar in this tiny little like one horse town. And we're like all nervous and we're doing this big pitch and this group of like six just absolutely trashed dudes come come outside of the patio to like smoke and drink beers. And I don't know. I, I don't know what the hell they were doing. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning and they were just three sheets and we're like trying to have this super professional meeting. <laughs> it's just like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? Um but yeah, we've had meetings from the side of highways and the tops of mountains and dive bars and a lot of mid, coffee shops. Mid-bike trail meetings. Mid-bike trail meetings. <laughs> um, and you just, you know, you kind of make it work. And I, I have to give credit to the folks who've worked with us. I think they are understanding of our nomadic lifestyle and they've been really flexible with us and understanding when, you know, the internet hasn't worked or the phone calls do get dropped and we have to reschedule. So um yeah, it definitely takes for an extra level of planning that it, I don't think really exists for normal, you know, homebound, office bound folks. You just have to be so flexible. Like, yeah. You can't have any expectations. You just have to like roll with it. Yeah. Sometimes you blow up the bus. Sometimes you blow up the bus. <laughs> Has so that happened? Uh, we uh, may or may not have operator error, like blew through a couple alternators and six or seven batteries no. and a starter <laughs> six batteries and some wires lots of wires four weeks later we had our bus back no no big deal all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think just a good attitude and and a good sense of humor about it all has been pretty crucial and it seems like you guys just have like such a good recipe for your events that have made them so so successful Um, I'm just curious if there's anything there that you can share with other ladies who aren't necessarily looking to do something on that scale, 
but just want to like start a local group ride or do a local women's race, uh, what advice would you give to those ladies? Definitely. Um, So I, I, we do have like a, a small formula that just kind of is a blanket formula that we, I, I have for any event, doesn't matter if it's a wedding or a birthday party or a women's group ride. Um, It is that people are not hungry the beer does not run out and the music is good (laughs) and does not also. Yeah. Also the music doesn't stop. Um, which, you know, obviously like a little bit different for a a group ride. And basically what the kind of core of all that is just like making sure people are having a good time. Um, so I think for us, when we, when we're planning something, we kind of look at the schedule or the proposed activities and we're like, is that fun? Like, would that be fun for you to do? Would that be fun for me to do? Um, and if the immediate answer isn't like, Oh my God, that would be awesome. Like how hilarious would that be? (laughs) Uh, we don't do it. And so I think that kind of helps us steer away from those things that can come across as like hand holding or pandering is if they don't pass kind of muster with us, we just don't include them in the event. Um, and, and it's worked pretty well. And, and, you know, we've had learning experiences along the way of things that we thought were going to knock it out of the park and they didn't, or things that I was adamant about not having like yoga, which has been super successful at our (laughs) events, but I was really anti for the longest time. Um, just in an effort to stay away from that kind of those traps of like coming across as pandering. I mean, how many Mm -hmm. events are like yoga and champagne and Turns out yoga and champagne's champagne's actually pretty fun because <laughs> we've done it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just staying staying true to the experience that you would want to have as an event planner, um, and just making sure that you you stay true to that because we've we've had a lot of folks come to us with a lot of ideas that are not bad ideas, and they they you know, they definitely work in any given scenario, but we just have a very, um, kind of strict policy basically on, on the kind of event and experience we are trying to put on. And so we, we do quite a bit of like polite declining (laughs) or, or just changing like, Oh, like that sounds cool. But what if we, you know, shifted that a little bit and did it this way? Um, and I think that's, that's definitely been a recipe for success for us. Were there other events that you drew inspiration from? Gosh, all the clinics. <laughs> it's funny. Um, we're we're not we're, a skills clinic, right? But that was really the impetus for us starting Rome. Is I was really involved in the clinic scene. So we're you know we're good friends with all the crew from Ladies All Ride and the Vita series and the Trek Dirt series and. Oh my God, how much fun do we have when we go to those things? Like, it's fun. Like, yeah. yeah. So, it, it, we, uh, w- there's so much credit that is due to those ladies who trailblazed for us and created those environments and those experiences of bringing ladies together for the sake of riding. Um, and we just simply took this, well, for some people, the, the stressful um, part of like the skills, the learning part out. And we're like, well, why don't we just do the ride part? <laughs> Um, and so we just kind of shifted that experience to gear, geared towards a more experienced writer. And that's really been, um, a huge inspiration for us is those skills clinics for sure. Um, and the sturdy, dirty, some of the yeah. races, man, 
Yeah. TDS Enduro, the Sturdy Dirty, the Stone Mountain Bike Festival does a great job. We've had a ton of fun at the Outer Bikes. I mean, we kind of basically just took um, the foundation of what a lot of folks are doing really well and took our favorite parts from it and kind of put our own spin on it. Fun first. Fun first. Fun first. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not fun. We're not doing it. Which is good because I think a lot of women feel um, like pressure from those skills clinics and maybe that's not always fun. So I like that um, you've gone for something different. Yeah, yeah. And I think something too that we kind of inadvertently stumbled upon is, and I mean, it's not a secret, but we don't, our schedule is not super scheduled out. Like it's quite loose. Um, There's a lot of free time. We find that people really enjoy themselves when they just get to like hang out. And so something that we kind of intentionally now build into our schedule is the ability for people to kind of choose their own adventure. So if you want to go out and bike all freaking day long until the cows come home and your legs are falling off, um, you know, more power to you. But if you want to get a normal humans ride in, as I call it, (laughs) and just go out for a few hours and come back and kick back at the pool and have a beer Um, we leave space for that too. So I think that's been hugely helpful um, in kind of meeting the needs of a a huge variety of writers as well. And how do you differentiate between those writers? Like I know a lot of women don't want to go on women's group rides because they feel like it's going to be really slow or um, so, so how do you, how do you figure out who's going to go on those all day rides and who's going to be on maybe an easier ride? Um, we pretty immediately split the groups, uh, split the group into a lot of tiny groups. Um, we, we are fortunate enough to have some really great repeating staff that come to all of our events and then also local knowledgeable folks who come help us out. Um, and we're really able to split the groups even, even to a one to one ratio in some cases. Um, and yeah, we kind of have like the first day is just kind of like a test out day. We kind of all figure out where we all stand. And then by like maybe second half of the first day, but definitely by the second morning, um, we're, we're all pretty much in our appropriate yeah. pace style groups. Yeah. So we'll do something like we'll, we'll give folks the information they need to make an informed decision on like, this is what the ride is. This is how long it is, the elevation profile, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and often what we'll do is we'll send out multiple ride leaders with like a bigger group of say 10 or 12 people knowing that like pretty damn quickly, there's going to be a natural split. And then we have that communication in place with our staff that like, Hey, as soon as there's like an obvious split in the group, I don't care if it's, I mean, we've done it a minute in to a five hour ride. It was like, (laughs) okay, like these four are definitely way faster than the back eight. Um, so like, let's split this group. So, you know, take off with the first group of four, did our own ride, the back eight groups split again into, you know, a one-on-one with a lady in the back who was just ready to like fully cruise all day. And she had her, you know, person there to be her sidekick for the day. And that's kind of been a, a great recipe for us is a, we've been like Andy said, really lucky that we've had a tremendous amount of support from knowledgeable locals and ladies who know the trails that are able to come and support that um, aspect. But definitely, like 
our groups are not designated by size. It's not like we're doing groups of six. It's we're splitting the group. However, it splits naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've had, you know, groups of seven or eight. That sounds like a big group that would take forever to get anywhere, but they're just freaking slaying it. Um, And they keep pace with each other and it moves along and everybody's pretty stoked. So um, that's kind of how we've figured out how to do it. And uh, got to give credit that the, we kind of borrowed that from the loopy ladies in Grand Junction. That was really the first women's group ride that I I think either of us had gone to where they, that's kind of how they rolled. It was just like, mm. all right, here's what we're doing. Um, yeah. We also have a rule that you're only allowed to say you go first twice and then someone has to start riding. <laughs> I like that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, no, yeah. no, you go first. No, no, yeah. you go first. No, you're totally faster than me. Like, <laughs> we just like cut that shit out. Like, no, yeah. nope. like nope. someone's got to start riding. Let's do this. <laughs> I love it. Okay, here are the final three questions for you. And I'd like both of you to answer each one. So the Ooh. first one is what's your favorite place you've biked? Oh, God. That is so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. Um, you, can, you can give your top three if that's easier. <laughs> They're all great. I'm from Seattle area, and there's nothing like riding back at home. There's so much great riding here, um, which is where we are now, right now. Uh, yeah. But I, again, like I, I revel in every new trail that I get to ride everywhere. Um, we've been pretty spoiled. We've been really spoiled. Yeah. yeah, I would have to say Washington. Um, I love Brevard, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why our festival is there. Um, and I would have to say I love Sedona, <laughs> which is really funny because the writing there is quite hard for me. Uh, but it's just so freaking beautiful uh, that it just it blows my mind that we get to recreate in places like that. So that's a huge part of my experience riding is uh just getting out outdoors and Sedona is pretty great for that yeah I love Sedona too Oak Ridge yeah Yeah. (laughs) basically anywhere we go to an event yeah (laughs) we're like we love riding here let's do an event there (laughs) okay second question is what bikes do you ride hmm we're also spoiled with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have two favorites. I really love. I'm right now. I just got back from Laos, like Ash said, with Rebecca Rush, uh, and I bring the specialized Epic Evo there. It's a 120 mil travel front, 100 rear dropper post. It's like a knobbier tires. Knobbier tires. It's like a a cross country race bike that totally rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, Freaking rallies. Yeah. I've seen Andy ride. I don't know if people are familiar with Highline. But I've seen yeah. Andy just like absolutely slay on Highline on that bike. And I'm like, that bike should not be able to do that. It's not it's not my choice bike for that trail, but I did have to do it. <laughs> that sounds like more like a rider capability than bike capability. Oh. Yeah, yeah, not what you ride, it's how you ride it. That's true. What do you what's your uh I have been oscillating between like the regular one fifty mil travel stump jumper and the one thirty. Uh, which they, I think that's officially the Stumpy ST, um, so short travel. And that thing, man, like it climbs like a little mountain goat and it is so playful going downhill. And I, it's kind of my, I mean, quiver killer, really. I take it everywhere. Yeah, I just got back from Guatemala and I kind of just had my pick of bikes. 
I mean, we're pretty lucky we have our own demo fleet, so we're spoiled for choice. We kind of just have whatever bike we want to take with us. And I definitely end up grabbing that stump jumper ST quite a bit. And Ashton really prefers 29 and I'm, uh, I'm somewhere between 27 and 29. I like 27.5 wheels on a, on my bigger bike, my stumpy, but for cross country, 29 is good. Are you shorter, Andy? Yeah, I'm yeah. five, but I don't think that matters anymore. Um, I think bike companies in general have really dialed in their geometry on 29ers. I think you can be a shorter lady. Um, cause she goes so damn fast. She's got to be able to like, <laughs> I just really like the playfulness of a 27, five every, every so often. And I need all the help I can get climbing. So <laughs> 29er for me. <laughs> Well, before I ask my very last question here, I just want to thank you guys both for coming on. I know you're both really busy and it's the holiday season, so I appreciate it. And I I personally find you both really inspirational and I know everybody else that's listening will also. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, this has been absolutely rad. Totally. So the last question is, what do you love most about biking? So many things. How do you narrow it down to one getting, thing? Getting deep, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like, our community, my I should speak for myself, my community that I have met through mountain biking, I would not trade for the world. And I think as much as I love the physical act of being on my bike and exploring on my bike, um, the folks that I spend that time with, even on and off the bike, is it's just phenomenal. So, yeah, definitely the community for me. Uh, you took mine, but I have four, so I'll go with one of my other ones. Um, I just really like, uh, the challenge and feeling at the end of a challenging ride, like I really did something and grew as a writer or as a person. Andy does some hardcore things. Not really. Why yes, do you, you do. <laughs> But I also really love fixing bike. I love I love everything. I love the culture. I love the community. I love riding them. I love fixing them. We have fully been waterboarded by the Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> there's a Venn diagram and there's a lot of circles and we stand in the middle. So sorry, Kristen. <laughs> all I, of it. To all of it. <laughs> you can't just pick one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's it for our very first episode of the Femme Cyclist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll randomly select some of our reviewers for Femme Cyclist swag, so make sure to leave us some love. It helps us out and helps get the word out. Until next time, happy trails, and enjoy this outro provided by none other than Ash and Andy. But does she really wanna? But can't stand to see me walk out the door. Can't stand to fight the feeling, but the thought alone is killing me right now. Thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together, cause we don't know how. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah.